This podcast is a production of Vermont Law School's Environmental Law Center. Welcome back to another episode of Podhouse Earth, everyone. We're your hosts, Mason Overstreet and Jeannie Oliver. Mason, it is great to be back here recording with you after what has been a bit of a podcast drought. And actually, droughts are sort of the theme for this episode. Even though it's the winter now and they're not really at the front of our minds as they were in the summer when we started working on this episode, the United States has experienced severe droughts over the past couple of years. Just in Vermont last year, over 10 counties were declared to be a natural disaster due to drought. And those drought conditions continued in parts of Vermont this year. So in today's episode, we're going to focus in on how droughts are affecting surface waters in Vermont. That's exactly right, Jeannie. The uncertainty and unpredictability of surface waters in Vermont and how the law is or is not addressing that uncertainty. Noteworthy here, too, is that this is an issue not just facing Vermont, but all states and even the globe as climate change creates more erratic weather. So Mason, before we go on, it might be good for our listeners who aren't familiar with this topic to tell them what exactly are surface waters? Good question, my friend. So surface waters include navigable streams, rivers, and lakes throughout the state of Vermont. And this is a topic you've been doing a lot of work on in the Environmental Advocacy Clinic here at Vermont Law School with some of your students over the last couple of semesters, right? Yeah, that's right, Jeannie. So this issue is certainly near and dear to me personally because our clinic has been working closely with a coalition of local, regional, and national conservation organizations to help think about and solve the problem around the effect of climate change and increased industrial users and their pressures on Vermont's surface water. And in fact, arguably, I personally think it's one of the most pressing water issues facing Vermont in the coming decades. It's really serious. So Mason, today on the show, we have with us two spring associates from the Environmental Advocacy Clinic who've spent a lot of time working with you on this issue. That's right, Jeannie. So today we're joined by Julia McDonald, who just finished her Juris Doctor, and Peter Malachy, who's completing his Master's in Environmental Law and Policy at Vermont Law School, and he's also doing a joint degree master's in natural resources at the University of Vermont. Also, just so our listeners know, this episode is a little different than that of past episodes because Peter and Julia will be taking the lead on this episode today. Peter and Julia, welcome to Hot House Earth. Thanks for having us. Great to be here, Jeannie. Thank you. Peter, Julia, we're going to hand the mic over to you to tell us the story about surface waters in Vermont and some of the legal issues you've been working on. But why don't you start by telling us what's going on with surface waters here in Vermont and how this story got started? Yeah, thanks, Jeannie. Uh, well, to start to explore this issue, Julia and I interviewed two water experts, David Dean. I, I get lost on the roads all the time. I never get lost in rivers. And Kathy Erfer. I started doing river work in, uh, geez, I'm going to say like maybe 20 years ago. And the four of us waded into the pressures and demands on surface waters in Vermont. So to understand this issue, we need to go back to 2019 when the Vermont Agency of Natural Resources approved the first interbasin transfer of surface waters. 
meaning water from one watershed was moved using pipes, in this case for snowmaking, to another watershed with potentially significant impacts on the health and robustness of the original watershed. Note to our listeners, we're going to explain more about this issue so that it sticks with us. David has been with this issue since it started. So I want to introduce David and talk a little bit about how this interbasin transfer revealed that Vermont actually knows very little about the quantity and extent of its surface waters, uses of those surface waters and their associated usage impacts. I did spend 30 years in the Vermont legislature. Most of my time was spent on the natural resources committees of the House and Senate. Um, I spent over 20 years as an Orbis endorsed and New Hampshire licensed fly fishing guide. I spent 20 years or about 20 years as river steward for the Connecticut River uh, Watershed Council, now known as the Connecticut River Conservancy. And uh, I have been a member of uh, Trout Unlimited for over 30 years. And I am now uh, the president of the chapter down here in uh, Southeast Vermont, Southwest New Hampshire. It's uh, the Connecticut River Valley chapter of Trout Unlimited. So David is a longtime seasoned expert on water-related issues, and he was part of flagging the problem back in 2019 when Killington Ski Resort, in order to make snow, took water from the Ottauquechee River across the ridge of the Green Mountains, where the water later entered a different watershed from which it was sourced. Snowmaking and uh, use of surface waters for snowmaking is one of the few regulated uses of surface water uh, under Vermont statute. And the permit that had been issued to Killington uh, allowed them to withdraw water from the Ottauquechee River. Um, and that permit had been in place for a number of years. And they submitted a permit uh, requesting that they be allowed to withdraw water from the Ottauquechee, pump it up and over the divide of the Green Mountains into a storage pond that was on the property of Pico Ski Area, which of course they own. And what they wanted to do was expand Pico's snowmaking capacity using not water from the Lake Champlain watershed, which is what the watershed is on the other side of uh, the Green Mountains, but using Connecticut River water to increase Pico's um, snowmaking capacity. So this void of information about water withdrawals in general set off uh, Trout Unlimited, uh, Vermont Natural Resources Council, Connecticut River Conservancy on a quest to address them. And of course, uh, when we decided to address it, um, it immediately uh, became clear that there's no law to deal with water, water withdrawals whether they stay in the same basin or not, other than snowmaking and municipal water, as I mentioned earlier. So this is where water advocates realized that there is a significant lack of knowledge about Vermont's surface waters. And since then, many pressures in addition to snowmaking have been identified. Vermont has a growing population. Water-intensive crops like hemp are grown around the state. And importantly here, the state knows very little about how much water is claimed by any of these uses. 
This is significant because climate change is impacting water. And these demands and pressures are making surface water uncertain and unpredictable, even in verdant Vermont. That's true. And a lack of knowledge about who is making withdrawals or how much water we have magnifies the threat of climate change. So we spoke with Kathy Erther, who is a river steward at the Connecticut River Conservancy, to learn more about water protection, or really the lack thereof, in Vermont. Kathy was really able to highlight that it's not only this increased demand in Vermont, but also climate change that's impacting surface waters. We're having this sort of really erratic um, change in in rain events, where they're happening, how they're happening. So you, you could have pretty extreme flooding in one part of the state due to a rain event when another part of the state would be dry and droughty. Um, and that is, uh, you know, it's disturbing <laughs> to me. We have more water running off the land in the winter than we would have in, you know, historically. And then, um, you know, a period of time in August, September, October that are expected to be droughty the flux and the extreme and the changes of that, uh, you know, it's hard to anticipate what is gonna result from, from climate change. So these pressures raise the question, when water becomes scarce, who still gets the right to the use of the water? Vermont can be an example as the US and indeed the world faces unpredictability in water quantity. Yeah, it's a big question, Julia, because, you know, generally speaking, there's no single system as of now that's currently protecting or monitoring water quantity and who's using the water at any given time. The existing surface water protections in Vermont are those that primarily control water quality standards. Many of them are federally mandated and set by the Vermont Department of Environmental Conservation, but there's hardly anything regarding the water quantity issue and those users who withdraw water, with the exception of the ski industry who are required to apply for a permit to withdraw water for snowmaking. So the primary body of law that applies to this issue is the old common law doctrine called riparianism and the reasonably use doctrine. It goes back to old English times and is a little wonky. We do have water protection laws and it's quality. You cannot pollute uh, without a permit and those conditions are put in place uh, that uh, limit the pollution so that the stream continues to meet the water quality standards. The water quality standards don't even address quantity, quantifying the amount of pollution. We need that same measure, that same knowledge base, and that same measure of what's happening to our waters in terms of withdrawal in light of increasing population and uh, uh, more extreme weather patterns. Vermont is a riparian state, and that doesn't mean much to most people, but it means that as a landowner that has water running through my property as a riparian owner, meaning the land next to the stream, I have rights to that water. So that means only landowners adjacent to water have a right to reasonable use of the water. 
it doesn't equally consider the rights of, say, a hunter, fisher, or someone who just enjoys walking by the river. Right. And even more so, under the current system, any conflict must be resolved in court, which simply is not within the financial means of most Vermonters. Also, trials like this can be super lengthy. So hypothetically, if an unhappy farmer brings a case against an upstream user and it is successful and wins, that specific court decision only applies between those two parties. So what's interesting here is that no one is enforcing the new decision. The only way to enforce it is for another case to be brought, again, on a fact-specific situation. Kathy has a great example of how this issue could be seen out in the real world. So for instance, you might have a farmer who has been irrigating crops, you know, using a particular stream or river, you know, that a farm that's been in their, their uh, you know, their family for like several generations um, that then suddenly has an industrial use that moves in upstream of them that starts withdrawing. And you could have a situation where a farmer suddenly, you know, then combine that with drought, right? Where a farmer suddenly doesn't have access to the water they need. And what can they do about it? You know, nothing. I mean, they can they can go in a friendly sort of, you know, Vermonty neighborly way, like we do, go talk to the industry upstream and say, hey, I, you know, I need some water to irrigate my crops, but there really is no legal pathway other than suing that other user. Now that we've swam through an overview of surface water issues, uh, let's take a look at what the next steps are towards protecting Vermont surface waters and what the Vermont legislature is doing currently to address these issues. Well, thankfully, we've already seen some action for the, by the Vermont legislature. In 2020, with the help of David, Kathy, and the Water Coalition, represented by the Environmental Advocacy Clinic at Vermont Law School, H-833, which became Act 173, was passed. That law formed a study group made up of business representatives, legislators, and river conservationists. The group is tasked with evaluating the current state of surface waters through consultation with experts, analyzing the facts, and preparing studies. When the group is finished, they will make a recommendation to the legislature regarding the environmental, economic, and re recreational impacts of surface water diversions in Vermont. Part of the agenda is to have a mechanism for resolving conflicts over water use. If things get dire, who gets to use the water? You know, can I use it for my garden? If the guy up the stream has dried it up on me, uh, uh, you know, and, and I'm being denied reasonable use. This study committee is the first step in the process. From what it seems, the emergence of new water issues in previously water-rich states isn't unusual. In fact, uh, many states across the United States and countries around the world are establishing their own surface water protections to combat growing populations and climate change. Absolutely. Even water abundant states in New England are rethinking their relationship to this valuable resource. Here's Kathy discussing one of these systems that's just across the river in New Hampshire. New Hampshire has started a process just over the course of the past five years, I'd say, um, 
where they have developed an in-stream flow program where they are beginning to kind of catalog and understand um, what volume of water you need to maintain in a particular stream or river to maintain the ecological health and habitat of that water body. Um, and then understand which industrial, you know, agricultural uh, and other users are withdrawing water from that stream and then essentially making allocations for, um, you know, understanding how much could be withdrawn and, and how those industries and companies might need to respond in the face of drought. Fortunately for Vermont, many other states have created systems of protection that can guide the Vermont legislator in tailoring protection for Vermont's surface waters. We don't have to start from scratch. Other states already have in place systems of protection that can inform the study group on what level of protection works best for Vermonters. As David aptly puts it. I am never one to reinvent a wheel that works. I will reinvent a wheel but not one that works. There are other jurisdictions around the country, states, counties, multi-state compacts that have all dealt with this issue in, in, in areas where water is a scarcer um, resource than it is has been here in Vermont. By studying what worked in states with exemplary surface water protections, Vermont can understand what is effective and then weave those protections into a system specifically tailored for Vermont. The most exemplary of these systems come from Minnesota, Massachusetts, and Florida. Like Vermont, these states have historically had abundant access to surface waters, but understand the dangers associated with leaving surface waters unprotected as the climate crisis ramps up. That's right, Julia. Many states have adopted or are adopting an umbrella-like water management system with surface water protections, commonly termed regulated riparianism. There's a group known as the American Society of Civil Engineers who have created a model code for surface water management. This model code is a set of policy guidelines that illustrate the most comprehensive, complete, and well-integrated statutory scheme to manage surface water diversions and deal with surface water management problems. However, there is no single state that has adopted the model code in its entirety. So Julia, put another way, there's a ton of really neat forward-thinking options in this code for Vermont to think about. Not all of the options may be appropriate for Vermont, and the state will need to carefully consider how climate change will impact its surface water resources so as to choose the best options for its specific surface water needs. Peter, given the threats facing surface water use, it seems like this umbrella type management system could directly benefit all Vermonters across the state. Absolutely, Julia. A statewide water protection framework would be great for Vermont businesses since it reduces costs associated with enforcing their water rights. It would reduce conflict over water during periods of drought, times when businesses might otherwise fight over an already scarce resource. Interbusiness conflict would certainly impact their bottom lines since resources spent to outcompete other water users would usually outweigh the benefits from securing access to surface water. And finally, a new system would give recreational and aesthetic users of surface water a voice. 
Interesting. It's as if a protective system would switch the blinking yellow light David mentioned to a red or green, giving business and industry, as well as ordinary Vermonters, clear directions on how they can use surface water resources. Creating certainty about future water use would help business plan through unforeseen events like the drought that we saw in 2020. Exactly. River scientists, ecologists, and conservationists like Kathy are also hoping we'll see a surface water protection system in place soon. Right. Going back to the model code, Peter, one of these options is to create resiliency plans. Resiliency plans help reduce the risk of issues related to droughts or other water quantity emergencies that could impact Vermonters and sensitive river ecosystems. In the event that Vermont opts to adopt a resiliency plan, it could use the data generated by monitoring water systems to protect all Vermonters' water during droughts or other emergencies related to the quantity of surface waters. The data collection of understanding the surface water users would, you know, add to that a kind of robust understanding of how a stream is working and, and who's impacting it. Giving scientists this powerful observation tool would let them study changes in water quantity over time and better protect the integrity of Vermont's surface waters. Additionally, these monitoring systems would give scientists flexibility to inform new policies on water use as new data refines our understanding of how the climate crisis is affecting our surface water users. And so part of the problem is the state actually there is no data to find how much water is being withdrawn from a particular stream, uh, by whom and when. Um, and so that's, you know, that's policy that's needed to really understand what's happening in the streams and then set up a situation to make the use of those streams equitable in a way that's not gonna also damage the ecosystem. Yeah, and that last part Kathy mentioned, creating equitable surface water access while minimizing ecosystem damages is one of the biggest benefits to a comprehensive, proactive system of surface water protections. A new system could hopefully be far more inclusive than the current protections Julia mentioned earlier, which are basically non-existent right now. It would also enable the state to step in and adjust water uses to protect the environment and the average Vermonter's access to surface water. Systems like these provide that necessary flexibility, which would help ensure surface water uses can be protected, especially during emergency situations like drought. Overall, if the state adopted an umbrella type system of water management protections, they would be able to balance environmental, domestic, recreational, and commercial interests to protect the integrity of our surface waters, even in times where water is scarce or multiple competing uses need access to the water. Wow. Thanks so much for this great overview, Julia and Peter. It always surprises me how Vermont knows very little about the quantity of its surface waters, users and usages of those waters, and the fact that climate change is looming large on the horizon. True, as an energy attorney working on renewable energy siting, Mason, I've had some exposure to water quality regulations, but not to water quantity regulations. In fact, I knew very little about this topic until this episode. It's really nice to know that Vermont has such a great opportunity 
to create a proactive system of protection of our surface waters. And it's always really exciting to imagine the ways Vermont can become a leader in policy initiatives across the US and even maybe across the world if we get the right system in place. Yeah, that's the best part of this whole system is that there's just so much opportunity here. Um, it really struck me that even in a historically water-rich state like Vermont, our future access to water is not as secure as we might think. If our listeners are interested in learning more about this issue, the Environmental Advocacy Clinic recently published a report that goes into greater detail about these issues. A link to the report can be found in the podcast episode description or on our website. As of now, the Act 173 study group continues to meet online during COVID, but the study of water quantity in Vermont marks a historic trend in how states across the country are approaching the problems associated with their surface waters. We encourage our listeners to tune into these study group meetings as they continue to be posted to the Vermont Department of Environmental Conservation website or the Vermont State House website. Julia and Peter, a big thanks for your help on this episode. Also, major thanks to David Dean and Kathy Erper for volunteering their time to help us understand the important aspects of these issues relating to surface waters in Vermont. Thanks also to our production team here at the Environmental Law Center, Director Jenny Rushlow, Associate Director Anne Linehan, Molly McDonough, and our editor, Emily Potts. If you like what you heard and you'd like to hear more, check us out at hothouseearthpodcast.com on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you get your podcasts.